Hello, I'm Nick Cater from the Menzies Research Centre. We've been discovering that podcasts like this are a great way to start a broader conversation about principles and values, the principles and values that underpin good public policy. You can support us by subscribing to the Menzies Research Centre for just $10 a month. Go to menziesrc.org, menziesrc.org, and press subscribe. I'm Nick Cater, and this is the Menzies Research Centre podcast. On today's Menzies Research Centre podcast, I've invited somebody who will be familiar to many of you, research fellow with the Menzies Research Centre, uh, author and editor of many books, David First Roberts. David, welcome. Thank you, Nick. And uh, David, um, I mentioned there your books. Uh, I will just go through them at the start because it's worth going through this list. Um, you, you, you're the author of uh, Making of an Evangelical Tory, which is a, a book about Lord Shaftesbury. That's right, yes. And, and for us, for the Menzies Research Centre, you, you've been very prolific as an editor in particular. Uh, you, you're the editor of Menzies' The Forgotten Speeches, Howard, The Art of Persuasion, Abbott's The Defining Speeches, all of which I think you indulge your interest in researching, you know, what people, what politicians have said, how they've spoken about themselves in their own words. It's, it's quite a revealing way, isn't it, often to understand politicians? Yes, it is. The, the reason I wanted you in today, David, is to talk about something that we've discussed and, and we've now got off the ground, which is a new book project of yours out later this year, God and Menzies. David, I'm really thrilled that you've you've agreed to write this book for us, and we've been got some fantastic uh, support from some of our supporters to help make this happen. First of all, why God and Menzies? Take us through your thinking on that. Well, I think it's very important to uh, understand and appreciate that uh, Menzies was a conviction politician who um, was guided by a very clear set of principles, and many of these, of course, were. Uh, grounded in uh, moral values and religious faith. And um, this book, I guess, will illuminate for readers uh, the, the religious and spiritual uh, impulses uh, behind uh, Menzies' thought and Menzies' liberal philosophy and uh, his outlook on a whole range of things uh, from his... Um, the formation of his liberal creed to his affirmation of religious freedom uh, to his staunch opposition to communism uh, to his belief in uh, values-based education and support for uh, church schools and other religious schools. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting about this for me is that you, 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 you if I could, you excuse me for saying so slightly unfashionable here, David, aren't you? Because what you've done is you've, you've taken an aspect of people's lives that now is considered peripheral to public life. I mean, you're not supposed to talk about your faith in public in some circles. And yet you're saying, uh, and I agree with you absolute, absolutely on this, that very often a, a, a Christian faith can be the foundation of a philosophy that really sets the tone of the man, the woman, and their leadership. Yes, you're exactly right. I mean, if you look at the uh, great figures of history, uh, including uh, Abraham Lincoln or uh, Winston Churchill, uh, they were both impelled by um, a strong faith, whether that was Christianity or um, some other theistic worldview. Mm. They had a great belief in God and uh, 
that was certainly the case with uh, Lord Shaftesbury, who was the subject of my own um, study. David, I, you, you, if I was to sort of characterise you, it would be a historian uh, and a historian who's interested in matters of faith and those two things intersect. When did that um, come together as, uh, you know, what you really wanted to do in life? Were you, were you, did you study history at school? Yes, I did. I was always fascinated with history, especially um, Australian political history and uh, the figure of Menzies held a long fascination for me growing up and um, also faith has been an important part of my own life. Um, I was Since of, when? I was born really into the um, Anglican uh, evangelical tradition of Sydney and um, I went to Sunday school at my local Anglican church. Uh, but interestingly, I also uh, went to a Catholic school and... Um, I've always um, believed in God and uh, during my early years at university I um, accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Saviour. Um, I also see Jesus as the light of the world and um, I guess I've had a lot of exposure and uh, positive influences from many different Christian traditions. So my Anglican evangelical upbringing, my Catholic education... I've worshipped at uh, Anglican and Presbyterian churches. I've uh, taught at a uh, Pentecostal college and I've been involved with the uh, Salvation Army and voluntary work. You didn't start out as a historian though, did you? What, what did you train for at the university? What, what did you go on to do? So uh, initially I did an arts degree uh, with a major in history and then I uh, studied a law degree uh, believing that that would equipped me with some vocational um, skills. Um, and after working in law for a couple of years, I then decided to return to my first love of history. And so I pursued a PhD uh, where I focused on the uh, great evangelical 19th century reformer, Lord Shaftesbury. Back, back to the subject of your book, God and Menzies, because I think Menzies was the son of a preacher, wasn't he? Yes, he was. So his father... James Menzies was of Scottish Presbyterian stock and uh, he was a lay preacher in the Presbyterian church. But uh, when the, the family moved to uh, Japarit, um towards the end of the 19th century, he found that there was no Presbyterian church. So he joined the Methodist uh, church in Japarit and became a Methodist lay preacher. In an era when I, I guess people were... You know, talked a lot more about religion, perhaps more openly, more inclined, perhaps to say grace before meals, all those sort of things. So it would have been very much part of his upbringing. Yes, it was. So he was taught to uh, read the Bible uh, by his parents and uh, his grandmother, whom he stayed with in Ballarat, who was a devout um, Presbyterian Christian, and uh, he certainly got that exposure to Christianity. He was brought up on. Um, as in addition to the Bible, such Christian classics as the Pilgrim Progress, the Pilgrim's Progress, the Presbyterian um, Hymnal, and also the Golds, the Inns Goldsby Legends. Some some of those come through in his speeches, doesn't it? I mean, you 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 come across a quote or even just a reference. It's not not a quotation, and you think that's what you, if you if you follow the trail, that's where it originates, right? 
That's right. Um, so many of his speeches are peppered with uh, biblical metaphors and aphorisms. Um, My brother's keeper, feet of clay, uh, house of many mansions are just some of the biblical... Um, love, I don't know if he actually says it, but love thy neighbours thyself, which I think is almost the the quintessential description of how we expect people to behave in this country. It's the foundation of our social fabric. Yes, indeed. Yes, he was fond of referring to citizens as their brother's keeper. Can you take us in a bit to Presbyterianism and Methodism? What's distinct about those particular uh, lines of, of Protestant thought and how did that help form Menzies' political views? Perhaps taking the Presbyterian tradition first. It was um, Scottish Presbyterianism was very much a cultural and ethnic uh, identity for Menzies in Australia, but it was also a real spiritual um, disposition of his as well. So uh, from Presbyterianism, he um, imbibed the view that uh, God is sovereign over all things and that uh, God reveals his character, his will and his purpose uh, through the Bible, both the Old and New Testaments. And uh, he also uh, held to a whole-of-life uh, Christian worldview that um, Christianity impacts not only on one's church-going or prayer life, but also on how they view the world, how they view politics, economics, uh, society and culture and so forth. From, the, from the, the Methodist part of his background, and as you explained, that's accidental in a way because they just happen to end up in a town with no Presbyterian church, what came through that, do you think? Yeah, so from the Methodist tradition, uh, which of course uh, stems back to the 18th century figure of John Wesley and his brother Charles, recognised as the founders of uh, Methodism in the 18th century, he, uh, he got the idea that um, human beings, when they uh, come closer to God, they become more and more like God, as they grow in what Christians call holiness. And so Menzies believed that uh, people, um, if they had a faith in God, uh, could become more and more like God and show more and more of God's character and nature um, in their own lives. And uh, Menzies believed... uh, in the imperfectibility of human nature, he believed that human beings were sinful, but at the same time he also believed that they could grow more and more like God. Yeah, I mean, I guess it was never a view they could actually become like God, but by aspiring to that, you know, you think, well, this is my aim in life, I'll just try and be a, a little bit more like God every day, then you're gradually perfecting yourself, aren't you? And um, That's right. I mean, one thing he says... Um, uh, and uh, forgive me if I don't get the quote exactly right, but he's, he's, he spoke once of the greatest... He was always speaking about freedom, right? But the greatest freedom of all... The greatest freedom of all was the freedom to do your best and make your best better. Uh, that, that, that's a big thing for men to say, right? A man who is he's into freedom like nobody else we know, and, and the greatest freedom is just the freedom to do your best. Yes, that's exactly right. So the Methodists... Um were great social reformers. So they were involved in the anti-slavery movement uh, in the 18th century and then in what was called the uh, 
temperance movement of the 19th century. So they believed that um, if human beings followed God and his will in the Bible, they could make themselves better and they could make the society around them better as well. Mm. Confession time now, if you like. Now, I was brought up as a, as a Methodist uh, by my mother and I was baptised. I think we called it baptism. I can't remember what the expression was. I was very small. But uh, I, I, I was uh, christened, I think we called it. We were christened. I was christened by a man called Lord Donald Soper, uh, who's very well known as for his role in the campaign for nuclear disarmament and various other socialist causes. He was a Methodist. He was a Methodist leader in Britain. He was out here twice, I think, in the late 1940s, early 50s. And Menzies, I thought, uncharacteristically for Menzies, really had a go at him in the, in the press about this was a man. This was a time because when we were fighting communism and, and he saw... Uh, Soper as part of that tradition. Can you explain to me how those two traditions arrived? So on the one hand, Menzies, who's very much about freedom of the individual, and, and he really obviously had an, took exception to the other kind of Methodism from Donald Soper, which is much more about a, a social gospel, if you like, and uh, social action and political action. Well, that's right. Uh, I mean, Methodism itself um, is a broad church and uh, its adherents... I guess, straddle both sides of the political divide. I mean, like the uh, figure you were describing in Britain, in Australia we also had a progressive Methodist figure, um, Alan Walker, who uh, held to uh, pacifist views and was also um, social democratic uh, in his political outlook. And if you think about it, Methodism um, has also had a profound influence on uh, some of the great figures of the centre-right. Um, if you take um, not only Bob Menzies, but also uh, Margaret Thatcher, George W. Bush and John Howard, they all had a Methodist upbringing of one kind or another. It's funny how common it is, isn't it, once you admit and come out of the closet. Geoffrey uh, Blaney is another one. He wrote that um, magnificent history of Christianity. And uh, when I spoke to him about it, I said, there's a lot on Methodism. He said, that's because I was brought up as a Methodist. So it's it's very influential. The other thing about Methodism, before we leave it, because I think this seems to me significant, it was very much the uh, religion of the working man in Britain, you know, that, that, that the people who, who saw the Church of England as part of the establishment, that's where this free church movement came um, from Wesley uh, and it was a great figure for standing up for working people. And it was big in Britain in the... West and in Wales, in these working class, particularly amongst miners. And fascinating if you go up through the Hunter Valley here, you know, where the original mining communities were, everyone has got what was originally a Methodist chapel. So Menzies, in associating with this, was very much, in a way, setting the tone for his political views in that it was, in a sense, anti-establishment as a church. It wasn't, it wasn't the Anglican church, for instance. That's right. Um, he was also very fond of describing Christianity as the greatest minority movement in human history. I suspect it's even more of a minority movement now, but anyway. And so I suspect he um, he was sort of channeling his own uh, nonconformist um, background of uh, Protestantism. Because I think it's one of the key to understanding Menzies, you know, for people who are co- coming to Sir Robert Menzies for the first time, you kind of expect, because of his voice and his sort of commanding, patrician sort of manner, you, you expect him just to be a member of the establishment and all the establishment clubs, because he wasn't that at all, was he? I mean, Japarit, you've mentioned where he grew up, was, was very the opposite of that, wasn't it? Yes, it was, and he, he was never a member of a Melbourne club. 
he uh, identified as just a humble man of uh, the Australian, broad Australian middle class. Well, the forgotten people speech, of course, is the one where he identifies strongly with the forgotten people, and I sense this is where he's coming from himself, what he grew up as. Yes, indeed. So uh, in his own forgotten people speech, he refers to uh, storekeepers and um, small business people. And uh, Menzies' own father was very much a forgotten people person. Menzies described himself, I think, as a simple Presbyterian. What did he mean by that? Well, what he meant by that was that um, his own uh, Presbyterianism, um, to be sure it was Bible-based and it was orthodox, but it was also very broad, um, non-sectarian, theologically uncomplicated and eminently practical. So not not a sort of head-in-the-clouds sort of spirituality, but one that applied. So he would apply... Uh, the framework of his religious faith, or his moral compass that he drew from that to challenges of everyday life. That's exactly right. It was a, uh, a practical faith. And so he had a great admiration for um, the charities that really um, displayed a practical Christianity, including the uh, Methodist uh, Central Missions of uh, Sydney and Melbourne, as well as the Salvation Army. There's one thing about Menzies that stands out, and you, you bring this out in your book when you look at your collection of his, what we call the forgotten speeches, because you, you know, that a lot of them have been unprinted or un, unrecognised for, for decades. What's clear from that is that he had uh, a public life spanning, what, uh, probably 40 years or more. That's right. Uh, and yet there's a real consistency of thought. There's no point at which you say, ah, oh, he's changed his mind on that. No, it's it's... Consistent right the way through um, from his first speeches in the 1930s to his last speeches in his twilight years in the 1970s. Um, his theme is remarkably consistent. Do you think that that, that is, is built upon his Christian faith? Is that, is that what gives him that sort of clarity from the start? Yes, I do. Um, and another writer who has... Uh, some interest in Menzies' own faith has been uh, Roy Williams, a well-known author in Sydney, and he looked at uh, Menzies' faith briefly in a chapter on a book of um, the faith of different prime ministers uh, entitled In God We Trust. And uh, Roy was essentially correct in uh, finding that uh, Menzies was a uh, believing Christian right the way through. Sure, he had periods where his... uh, Church attendance may have been a bit um, ad hoc or inconsistent, but uh, he always had that uh, faith that he imbibed from uh, his own father and family background and his own personal reading of the Bible. Neither of us had the good fortune, of course, to have met the man himself, but I suspect uh, that, that you wouldn't have found him sort of overbearingly preachy or... You know, he was not a holy Joe. He wasn't um, that wonderful Australian expression, a gob-botherer in that sense. It was a more natural part of his life. Would you say that was... Yes, uh, indeed. Um, he wasn't given to, um, you know, ostentatious displays of his faith, uh, but it was definitely present and uh, it definitely informed his views on um, society, culture and politics. 
And now, of course, uh, you know, when you get, uh, as we've had a number of recent prime ministers with, with uh, uh, you know, men of faith, including the present prime minister, uh, Scott Morrison, but always there's a point at which it becomes an issue for some in the media at the ABC, you know, it, 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 is he part of the religious right, this, that and the other. It becomes threatening and challenging and it gets raised as a negative, uh, although interestingly it never ever becomes one, but that's the way they approach it. Is there any evidence that, that ever happened to Menzies or were they different times? Well, in part it was different times. Um, in the Australia of the uh, post-war period when he was Prime Minister, uh, the uh, proportion of Australians that identified as Christian was considerably greater and also the standing of the church um, and of Christians in society at large was... Uh, much higher than it is today. Um, the newspapers, for example, used to uh, print the sermons of uh, some of the major church leaders uh, weekly, if not daily. And so Christianity was just uh, much more um, integral to uh, public life and culture in those days than it is nowadays. Let's get into some of the specifics of how um, this manifested itself in his his thought and his writings. The idea of uh, religious freedom, very important to Menzies. He gives a speech in it in uh, in the middle of the war, in the 1940s, part of his Forgotten People speech series. Uh, and, of course, now the idea of religious freedom is once again to the fore. It's being debated. What was Menzies' uh, view on that? Well, Menzies, um, in his speech, um, identifies as a Protestant and... Um, he identifies also with his own Scottish Presbyterian tradition, in particular what were known as the Scottish Covenanters, um, who were uh, members of the Church of Scotland uh, in, I think, the uh, 17th century, who fought for religious liberty. And Menzies said, most notably, that um, these Scottish Covenanters fought not only for religious liberty for themselves, but religious freedom for all, regardless of their personal faith. And so he believed in Australia that um, religious freedom should be for all, for Catholics, for Protestants, for Jews, for people of any other faith or indeed no faith. And in, in that he was reflecting a battle which had occurred in Australia, I think late 18th, early 19th century, when you know when Australia was established as a, as a, as a colony, it had an official religion, right? It was the Church of England or nothing, right? Uh, but that, that pretty soon gave, gave way to the approach which we now have, that you know, we don't have a, a state religion and you're free to adopt any religion you like, right? I mean, uh, that uh, tradition of um, religious freedom and um, religious plurality really goes back in um, colonial times to a... Uh, figure who very much represented a forerunner to Menzies in his um, own uh, creed of liberalism, and that was um, the governor of New South Wales, Richard Burke, um, who was famous for passing what was called the Church Act, which gave all religious denominations in New South Wales, um, it put them on an equal footing, and uh, it effectively... Um, dethroned the uh, Anglican Church as the preeminent um, denomination in that colony. Mm. And the, uh, the great book to read on this, or series of books, of course, is 
at Dr. David Kemp's works uh, on this, which is the third volume of The History of Liberalism in Australia, just published with the support of the Menzies Research Centre and some other good people like Cormac Foundation and Pratt Foundation. You, of course, were involved in that book, weren't you, in, in uh, assisting David with, with some of the editing and footnoting? Yes, that's right. And uh, David, to his great credit, um, spoke about the um, important bearing that uh, religious faith had on the development of uh, liberalism in Australia, in particular the uh, evangelical tradition um, personified by William Wilberforce from 18th century uh, Britain and how that uh, came to Australia. And that's a period in which you've taken a great interest because you've written your your book on Lord Shaftesbury. Tell me just briefly about Lord Shaftesbury, William Wilberforce, those other reformers and how their thought, their, their reforming approach, I guess, to, to uh, the way we run societies came to become part of the fabric of Australia. Yeah, so I'll begin with William Wilberforce, um, who was the earlier figure. Um, so he was a man of the uh, 18th century. He was a contemporary of both... Uh, Edmund Burke and uh, John Wesley. William Wilberforce um, had a powerful conversion to evangelical Christianity and this um, sort of uh, inspired his uh, great campaign for the uh, abolitionist cause against uh, transatlantic slavery. And so he was impelled by the idea that all human beings, regardless of their skin colour, are created in the image of God and are redeemable through Jesus Christ. And he believed that uh, human dignity was therefore a cause worth fighting for. And in Wilberforce's time, no practice was more degrading to human dignity than that of the slave trade, which he thought to abolish until his dying days. And next we come to uh, Lord Shaftesbury, who is a more of a 19th century uh, Victorian figure. Um, so he would have been a contemporary of uh, Charles Dickens and um, much of his p- public career was during the reign of Queen Victoria. And so like Wilberforce, uh, he affirmed the, um, the idea that uh, every human being is, bears God's image. And um, so uh, the practice in his time that he fought against was um, the factory system uh, which uh, really ran amok in the aftermath of the Industrial Revolution where workers were exploited working 14, 16 hours a day, Uh, children were sent down mines and he saw this as all terribly degrading to uh, human freedom and human dignity and so he fought against uh, the uh, practice of child labour and also the oppressive factory system, and he contributed greatly to its reform so that people were able to uh, work um, in much more humane conditions and with uh, individual rights, and uh, he was a great uh, contributor to our modern um, doctrines of labour and of fair work and fair pay and... um, of uh, reasonable living conditions as well. So to bring that back to Menzies, and, and you must break in and stop me if I'm, if I'm oversimplifying this, David, but so we have this great tradition of, of English and Scottish liberalism in the uh, late uh, 19th, early, uh, sorry, late 18th, early 19th century when Australia was settled as a, as a, uh, a, a European 
uh, colony, and that influences Australia then. Jump forward to uh, 1944, foundation of the Liberal Party. Menzies, of course, the key figure in that, and his philosophy is key to the underlying philosophy of that party. Um, you know, it, it's tempting to think he sort of invented some new philosophy, but, but what you're drawing out is, as David Kemp does in his works brilliantly, I think, is this is a long tradition, right? He's, he's in a way, he talks about reviving liberalism, reviving a tradition that goes back to great men like Wilberforce and Shaftesbury. Yes, indeed. Um, I mean, Menzies uh, quoted uh, Shaftesbury approvingly um, in a speech at Lithgow he gave in the early 1960s when he described Shaftesbury as that uh, great uh, author of humane legislation. So going to your question as to um, the founding of the Liberal Party in 1944, um, Menzies very much uh, brought his own faith and worldview to bear on the foundation of the Liberal Party. Um, now, the Liberal Party has been seen by many historians as a... Uh, kind of Protestant party, owing to the fact that the majority of its middle-class constituency would have uh, been uh, part of one Protestant church or another. Uh, but in reality, um, Menzies founded the Liberal Party as a non-confessional, um, non-sectarian party, so it was not an avowedly Christian party like perhaps some of the Christian Democratic parties um, in post-war Europe at that time. But that said, the um, platform and guiding principles of the Liberal Party reflected broadly Christian ideals. So on the one hand, it sort of um, channeled the uh, traditional Protestant social ethics of um, industry, hard work, um, thrift, uh, sobriety and um, domestic life and... Um, respectability, but then it also, um, in its emphasis on uh, subsidiarity and um, the defence of private property and the family and uh, its anti-communism, it also uh, aligned with much of uh, Catholic social teaching as well. Yeah, and one thing you said earlier, which sort of resonated with me when you spoke of from that early liberal tradition, early early. 19th century, this strong repetition of the idea that every human being is equal in the eyes of God. And that is core, that is key to Menzies' thinking about society, right? That every, he, he, was, he didn't believe in equality of outcomes, but he was a big one for equal opportunity, that everybody should have an equal chance in life. And that was a key principle which he repeated over and over again. Yes, that's absolutely right. That feeds into his ideas about education. Yes, yes. So um, it's interesting, um, his views of education. Um, he was a great supporter of what he called church schools. So um, some of our prestigious and well-known private schools he was a firm supporter of. But it was not because he saw these schools as uh, status symbols or as bastions of uh, privilege and... Um, elitism in society, but rather he saw these schools as the great incubators of moral character and um, he believed that uh, an education 
informed by a background in religion, was essential to human flourishing and uh, individual character as well. We could say a lot more about this. It's fascinating, David, and we'll have you back uh, for sure when the book comes out to go through some of these, what we haven't covered today. But let's just, just step back and look at Menzies, the man. I mean, uh, I think one of the reasons why we clicked when we first came together, uh, well, five, five years ago probably or longer, and you first came to, um, to work with the Menzies Research Centre as, as an intern and then a research fellow, I think why we clicked is we both found this man absolutely fascinating. I mean, he was... He, such depth uh, to his intellectual thought, such clarity in the way he expressed his views and, and a lovely style about him, a, quite a, a poetical almost, and he loved poetry, of course, the way he wrote and endlessly fascinating to delve into his, his work. Um, is that, that You and I have always shared that, right, that fascinating with the man. And um, yet... Curiously, you know, it's it, up until recently, and, and you know, people have written on this subject. John Howard, more recently, great book by Troy Bramston. This has been unremarked. Why isn't this man celebrated as one of the great philosophers and thinkers of our time? Well, that's right. I mean, Menzies um, is either derided by his critics as this um, archaic Anglophile who uh, is asleep at the wheel during Australia's long post-war period and was a man who lacked vision and innovation. But his uh, admirers, on the other hand, will credit Menzies for his um, political genius as well as his uh, incredible um, economic management of Australia, um, creating one of our great uh, periods of prosperity um, in his uh, promotion of liberal principles and free enterprise. What often escapes the um, attention of both his uh, critics and admirers alike is also his um, depth of philosophy and uh, real faith. We don't talk much about faith, do we? I think we began by talking about this. You've mentioned uh, John Howard, Scott Morrison, Tony Abbott, of course. You know, I used trained to be a Catholic priest. Uh, Kevin Rudd, you know, the man of man of faith. It's not uncommon, but there are many leading figures in Australian society, in politics, in business, in education, right across right across the board. Who, when you when you get to talk to them, have a deep and abiding faith which guides them. What really excites me about your book is it's a chance to uh, go back and and actually bring this out and to start saying, well, this does matter. Right? It's not the only thing about a person, but it can very often be the defining point. It, it, does it frustrate you as much as me that this doesn't get talked about more? Yes, it does. I think in Australia we uh, we rightly have a uh, separation of church and state, but I think that sometimes um, our secular culture can be too constraining of uh, people being able to speak openly about their religious faith and their Christianity. And uh, I think here we could... Uh, perhaps learn from the example of the United States where uh, public figures and um, people in all fields of endeavours feel a le- lot less inhibited about talking of their uh, personal faith and uh, religious beliefs. Thank you, David, and thank you for what you've contributed to uh, public thought on Robert Menzies' uh, freedom and faith, and we look forward very much to your book coming out. 
My pleasure. Great to be with you, Nick. Podcasts like this are part of our mission to fix the deficit of good ideas. You can support the Menzies Research Centre by subscribing from just $10 a month. Go to menziesrc.org, menziesrc.org, and press subscribe. I'm Nick Cater, and thank you for listening. Thank you.